Roman, you think this cup will be good right here? Yeah, I think it'll be all right. Perhaps the most controversial topic of discussion in our day revolves around truth. Opinions often blur the lines of an objective truth. Streaming platforms, social media, and other mediums allow individuals to project their truths upon the masses like never before. In the midst of woke, cancel culture, religious freedoms, political liberties, social injustice, we attempt to search for and reveal the truth. This is Truth Revival. And we're back. Here we are, this wonderful day. And Paul, I don't know about you, but I didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night. You kept me out late. It's been a long time since we've stayed out late. We got to go to the movies last night, and we was able to watch the Chosen Christmas special. And I'll be honest, Paul, it was not what I was expecting. I was a little let down, too, honestly. My wife was as well. I hate to say it like that. And we... We love the chosen around here, but there was only about thirty minutes of actual mm. like chosen footage. The what rest, I what I went for? That's yeah. I went for like an hour and a half of that. Or yes, two hours of the Christmas message, and I only got like thirty minutes of it. The rest of it was you know some music videos that I was not expecting. Now the the narrative parts were great. Yes, but but I digress. Now, uh, now that how great that art. That well, was good. The, that was legit. That was that good. Was really good. So. Zach, have you started watching The Chosen yet? Oh, yes. Oh, you're a Chosen fan. Absolutely. Maria and I, we don't miss. Oh. Yeah, we love it. Well, uh, our guest today is going to be Mr. Zach Hitson. And Zach, I'm just going to let you uh, kind of introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are, and then we're going to slide right on into this topic. So uh, go ahead with it, brother. Okay. Well, I'm super glad to be on the podcast today. I live in Telco Plains, Tennessee. And uh, born and raised in Monroe County. Um, have a wife, Marie, beautiful wife, supportive, and three wonderful kids, Brian, Emery, and McKenna. And um, became a follower of Jesus when I was seven years old and uh, been seeking him. Uh, had hiccups and things like that, and the Lord's been so gracious and merciful through it all. Um, about five years ago, I became acquainted with what's known as Christian apologetics, which is given a defense for the faith. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, that has stoked so much uh, a journey, of, like a, a fiery journey towards um, learning about God, um, sharing about God. It's helped me in evangelism. I don't think it usurps evangelism, but I think it really aids in conversation and uh, relationship building. And uh, it's also trained me to be a far better listener. Even in marriage, I struggle with listening in the first mm. half of my marriage. But um, becoming more acquainted with apologetics, there's been training to listen and understand that people aren't projects, but they're made in the image of God and things like that. So um, it's really good um, what's taken place in that um, in that in coming to know about apologetics and. Uh, that leads us up to today about what we're talking about the topic. It's really good. You know, Zach, I'm, I'm similar to you growing up. I, I don't know if I ever even, even heard that word right. apologetics. That's right. And when I first heard, it, I thought, what do I need to apologize for? Sure. But that <laughs> it's just that Greek word in defense of, mm -hmm. and that's what Peter said, you know, be ready mm -hmm. to, to, to give a defense or to, to, to share your faith, a reason for your faith. And we've actually tried to, expose our uh, congregation, our students, mm -hmm. to apologetics. We have a small group called Apologetics. I've done, a, I've done Bible studies on apologetics because it's really just those questions. That's right. You know, like, does God really love me? Or mm -hmm. who created the world? How did we get here? You know, we've done a, a great podcast several weeks ago with uh, Brother Kent Hovind, Yes. Yeah, that was uh, pretty spectacular. Today's topic is a question that was even asked during Jesus' day. Yes. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul devoted an entire chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, yes. to, this, to this topic of did the resurrection actually happen? Right. Can one rise from the dead? And so today, Zach is going to try to give us a, a, a case 
yeah. for the resurrection. Yes. Paul, before he gets started, you got anything that you want to just zip in there? Uh, I was just I was just thinking the first time I ever heard the word apologetics, it was actually a Christian rock band of the 90s when I was traveling playing music. And I was like, what does this mean? <laughs> I did, I'd never heard it before. You kind of get sheltered and you hear the same thing over and over and over again. He, he came and died and he rose. And if you believe in him, you're going to go to heaven. And it kind of ends there. Uh, but by learning these things and, and being able to defend them, you know what you believe. And when you know what you believe and you stand strong in that, people take notice of that. And, and, uh, and so. what happens is, you know, sometimes we live in a bubble and then you encounter somebody out and out at your job or out in town and they say, are you a Christian? Yeah. Well, do you know that the, the Bible's full of errors? Do you know that the Bible contradicts itself? And if you're not prepared for that, you're straight stuttering. What are you talking about? And I mean, Zach, I don't know if this is something you're going to talk about. Spoiler alert, the accounts of the resurrection in scripture, there are actually minute differences, small differences. You know, the angels are outside the tomb. Well, there may be one angel, or there may be inside the tomb, and but it doesn't change that's right, the account of the resurrection. Like I said, I won't, I don't try, try to get into too much there, but so Zach, I, like I said, you have done an exhaustive study on this. So just share your heart and Paul and I may have some questions. We may give some input yeah. along the way, but we are just going to turn you loose brother. So take it away. All right. So, um, Roman referenced first Peter three fifteen, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense for everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. I always try to put emphasis on that last part because the Apostle Peter gives us the method by which we give a defense. It's with gentleness and reverence. So what that's saying is we don't need to be sassy. That's right. As Christians, we yeah. don't need to be doing this with attitude. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if, if you have this high-minded idea about the knowledge that you've acquired, then we need to revisit God because that's a, a, a great confrontation with how little we do know. Yeah. Dealing Humility. With an, an infinite God. Yeah. yeah. We've called, been called to be humble. That's right. And, and it also questions the, the motive for your giving the defense. Are you, mm. are you trying to belittle or condescend or are you trying to build up and fill in, uh, um, give light because we're to be light. Right. Nice. So, um, the word make a defense is apologia, the Greek word. And um, so the question is, giving a defense for someone who asks, that verse gives the implication that someone's coming to you and asking. Like, it doesn't say that you approach someone or you engage, you initiate conversation, but it says, be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. So I think that's a call for us to look peculiar that there is um, a manner about us that draws people with questions because they notice. So I think that's really good. And whenever they do, we respond with uh, patience, compassion, gentleness, and reverence, and clarity of speech um, in our defenses that we're ready. Um, and Jesus emphasizes readiness all the time, doesn't yes. he? Readiness for his coming, readiness for an answer, and... Um, so how do we know Christianity is true? Um, the resurrection of Jesus is what Paul says. We can know Christianity is true by the 1 Corinthians 15. But how do we know Jesus rose from the dead? Alfred Ackley wrote the words in his hymn, He lives, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And I think that's totally legitimate. That's an appropriate, I think that's one of the key cases for knowing that God is alive because I've experienced him, I have personal experience with him, but that's not enough for some Right. when you're engaging in conversation that they could say, well, what about the experience a Muslim or a Mormon has, a Mormon who with it burning in their bosom, what about that, that, that physical experience that they seem to have? So it's good to have a further case. Um, so in first Corinthians 15, uh, Roman mentioned that that's where Paul addresses a question in verse number 12. And you'll see this often in 1 Corinthians that Chloe gives a report in first, in chapter 1. He's given a report on how the church of Corinth is doing. And then you'll see throughout the book that Paul is responding to either issues or questions submitted. So there's a this is sort of a response letter. And... In verse 12, it says, How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
And in verse 14, it says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. And in verse 17, it says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins. And then lastly, this is... This is really tough because I think in this moral relativism that we're living in today, we see this in verse 32. If the dead are not raised, let us drink and eat, for tomorrow we die. So Paul is, Paul is making the case that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then truly anything goes, and it's okay. Right. Because um, in Acts 17, verse 30 and 31, I want to read this. Acts 17 is quickly becoming one of my favorite chapters in um, the New Testament. Paul says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising Him from the dead. So, he vindicates the claims of Jesus when Jesus repeatedly predicts, I'm going to be given over to the Romans, I'm going to be arrested, I'll be crucified, I'll be buried, mm-hmm. and on the third day I'll rise again. And he, he um, predicts that at least five different times in the Gospels, at least five, it could be, it could be ten. But um, there's multiple predictions, and... His resurrection is God's vindication that this man is who he said he is because he was accused for blasphemy. He was accused for claiming to be, not being the Messiah, but being the Son of God. And that enraged the Sanhedrin and enraged the Jews. Pilate was kind of withdrawing. It's like, this is your problem. I don't see any fault with him. But the Jews were livid, right? Right, yeah. So um, this was God's vindication that Jesus is who he has all along been claiming he is, and I'm raising him from the dead. And it says in Acts 17, furnishing proofs by raising him from the dead. Um, By raising him from the dead, I'm telling you, this is the man I'm appointing to be the judge of all. And that's heavy. I've sometimes said that the resurrection confirms the gospel. Sure. Without the resurrection, the whole thing falls apart. That's right. And that's what the apostle Paul said. It is. Without the, if Jesus is still dead, then we're still in our sins. Yes. I mean, I, I think the cross is important. Mm-hmm. The, the cross is a mon, is monumental without the shedding of blood. Yes. There can be no remission for sin, but without the resurrection, there's no hope. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. We there, have no life. There's no breaking the yoke of death. There's often a, 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 mis, a misquoted verse in the First Corinthians chapter 15. You guys may have, uh, may, have, may have heard this before. Some people will say, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. Well, yeah, that's, there is truth. If we have hope only in this life, but that's not what it says. That's right. It says in First Corinthians 15, 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ. Yes. Uh-oh. So remember what I was talking about earlier about those contradictions? Mm-hmm. If you just read that first verse, or I'm, I'm sorry, if you read that that verse in isolation, it says, if I have hope in Christ, mm-hmm. we are of all men most miserable. Okay, that's not, we have to read in context. That's right. <laughs> because the Apostle Paul is alluding to the possibility of if Jesus is still dead, then... We're a bunch of liars. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Then our, our faith is in vain. Everything that we're doing, coming to church, if Jesus is still dead, then what are we doing? And then he goes on in the next verse, but now is Christ risen, but he's not dead. That's right. Okay. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I, I did. I, some of y'all maybe didn't want, where's that going? The resurrection? Listen, we all know Jesus is, is alive. That's the, that's, that's right. The, that's the story. But without the, res- the resurrection is huge for us. Yes. Okay. The whole gospel hinges on the resurrection. And that's why like Easter is so special. Easter is more than just, you know, hunting eggs that come from a bunny, which whoever thought of that anyway. Uh, Wow. That is a Christian's day to celebrate new life, a hope, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. The Bible says he's became the first fruits of them which sleep and that if he lives, Praise God, we can live yes. also. I just can't get over how, 
excuse me, the resurrection brings life. Yes. Life. And John 1 and 4 says that life is the light of men, mm-hmm. that, that hope, that to be resurrected means to be of use again. Because we were once dead. Yeah, he, was, he died. So when he, when he rose and, and became alive again and became the life and the light of men, he became useful again. So therefore, guess what? It makes us useful. Yes. Mm. And by us being useful, we do what he made us to do. We are the messengers. Amen. That's right. We're the messengers to say, hey, he came. He died, and he rose again. Listen, he rose again to give you life. When you're dealing with this world, like the Scripture says, like in Ephesians, it talks about being children of wrath and being of most miserable, and you look like the world and you're acting like the world, but he came and died to give you freedom from those things. There's no hope in this everyday life. There's no hope in making money. There's no hope in having a big house. There's no hope in these things. They won't sustain you. They won't keep you. They won't hold you. But the life of the sacrificial lamb of God, yes, you know, that, that, that he was a type and shadow of, of the lamb being brought to the altar. You got to think about that. They did this every day because it did not hold. That's right. Because every day they continue to sin. Every day they continue to murder. Every day they continue to lie and cheat and steal and fornicate and commit adultery. They continue to do all these things that we struggle with today in the natural. But God said, hey, I've had it. I created you to be for me. And this division that's here, I've got to fix it with life and hope. It's amazing, boys. So with the ramifications of the whether it's true or false, um, because Paul keeps saying, if Christ's not been raised, if Christ's not been raised, what he's doing is he's, he's addressing the question in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection? Well, he's, he paints the picture. If this isn't true, then this is the reality. But there's four historical facts agreed upon widely by Christian and non-Christian New Testament scholars, and these are the four, that after Christ's crucifixion, he was buried in a tomb by Joseph of Arimathea in Jerusalem. Number two, that on Sunday after the crucifixion, Jesus' tomb was found empty by a group of his women followers. On number three, on different occasions, different individuals and groups experienced post-mortem appearances of Jesus. And number four, the original disciples suddenly and sincerely came to believe that Jesus was risen from the dead, even to the point of martyrdom, even to the point of death. So... Those are four historical facts that are widely agreed upon. The question is, what is the most plausible explanation for those four facts that are agreed upon? Is it an apparent death that he appeared dead, but he wasn't really dead, and the disciples uh, took him from the tomb? Is it um, hallucinations? Is it the disciples stole the body that he did die, but they stole it to present an empty tomb because of his predictions in the Gospels? What is it? These are um, different theories, naturalistic theories, that... Um, skeptics have, but they don't answer all four of the historical facts. All four historical facts are best explained that Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah. Now, it's not just that. You can make a case for a physical resurrection. It wasn't just a spiritual thing, but that he was bodily resurrected. And if you check out Acts chapter 1, he walked on the earth in bodily form for 40 days. Yeah. That's over a month that this man who was beaten and scourged by Roman soldiers who were experts at inflicting this type of torture and torment and then hanging on a cross for hours Mm. and pierced in the side, pierced in his hands and feet, crown of thorns, you name it, and then buried in a tomb with the tomb sealed shut for a day and a half, two days, I, I don't know how many hours, but I know on the third day, that tomb was found empty by Praise women God. followers. And not just that, the two chiefest disciples, and not just that, report got to um, his enemies. In Matthew chapter 28, I want to read this. This is fascinating. Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. It says that now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests that all that had happened and what had happened in earlier in chapter 28, that there was an earthquake and the guard um, shook for fear because they, 
because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the stone away and sat upon it. And they noticed that the tomb was empty. And it says in verse 5, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. The women that were, women followers who were at the grave, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who's been crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I've told you. And then it says that the guard, in verse 11, went on their way. Notice they shook for fear in verse 4 like dead men. And they went and came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. Now, in chapter 27, I want to get too tangled up, but we know that these guards are Roman guards because the the priests go to Pilate and ask for extra security at the tomb because they're worried. They said um, it was said that while he was alive, the deceiver said, after three days I'm to rise again, therefore give orders to the grave to be made extra secure until the third day. So Pilate approves and issues um, some guard to not a singular guard, but many guard, to go help guard the tomb. In verse 11 of chapter 28, it says, Some of the guard came into the city, reported to the chief priests all that had happened, and when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say, His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble." And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story has been widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. So Matthew writes, even when I'm writing this, this theory is still going on. Mm. That Jesus's enemies acknowledged the empty tomb. They didn't deny the empty tomb. They just tried to explain the reality of the empty tomb. And their explanation was that the disciples stole the body. But they didn't know that, and it couldn't have been true because there was such a heavy guard at the tomb. And this is incredible that these naturalistic theories, they don't explain away the resurrection because, like, these men wouldn't die for something they knew was a lie. If the disciples did steal right. the body, then they would know it was a lie, and they wouldn't go to the point of death and torture or torture and death yeah. uh, for the sake of that. Mm-hmm. Hallucination We've got in 1 Corinthians 15 that at one time, 500 brothers uh, saw Jesus alive. And Paul says, even to this day, some of them are still alive and you can go ask them yourself. You don't have to take my word for it. You can go ask them. So hallucinations don't work like that. So it's really incredible um, some of the links that skeptics go to to try to explain this whenever you have four historical facts that are agreed upon that are in tension with these theories. You know what I mean? So we have a bodily resurrection. You have the women, the men to the road to Emmaus, on the road to Emmaus. You have the 12. Even when Thomas isn't there, yeah. the 11. You've got um, uh, the apostles. You've got Peter on his own. You've got, in 1 Corinthians 15, even says James on his own. And then later on, Paul. You've got all these appearances and in all of them, you either have, um, they're hearing an audible voice, they're seeing a body, there's occasions where there's physical touch, and there's even three or four occasions where there's actually a meal shared, where you're seeing the risen Jesus actually eat food. Mm. I mean, so you have clear indications that this is a bodily resurrection because there are tangible behavior. You know what I mean? There's behavior taking place that shows this is not a spirit being that's before us. You know what I mean? This man is of flesh and blood. God has raised him up. And because of that, we will be raised up. That's Paul's logic. He said, if Christ's not been raised, then we won't be raised. But because he has, we have hope. Yes. You know what I mean? And that's incredible. As you're, as you're talking about this, it's like my mind is being transported back, back to Israel. That's right. Because I was able to go and we got to walk the Via Della Rosa. Oh man. And along the way, there are 14 stops that they say that, you know, were, were Christ. There were significant moments of these 14 things. And perhaps that's just the commercialism of it all, you know, to sell tickets or whatever or souvenirs. 
but that's one of the things that you'll see along the, the Via della Rosa. And, 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 and for those who don't know, that's the pathway that Christ would have likely walked as he was carrying his cross to his, basically his own death. So what I did, I thought to myself, I'm going to track this on my Apple Watch. <laughs> that way I'll always have where I walk the Via della Rosa. So we're in this group, and literally the city of Jerusalem is an active city. There's a marketplace, there's there's fruit stands, there's vendors, there's merchants, there's you know commercial buildings. I mean, I was blown away that inside this old city is still a vibrant, thriving place. You know, kids running around. There's a school, people live there. It's in, it was so incredible. But you know, we're walking the, the, the way, and they told everybody in the group, they're like, listen, guys, stay together. Do, we're not stopping. But there are other places we're gonna stop and buy stuff. Do not stop. Well, there was these two ladies that decided that they were going to stop and buy a souvenir. Well, they got lost. And guess who was with them? My dad. So we stop at this at a certain location, and it's like, where's Big C? Where's everybody? And I mean, literally, there are thousands of people here in this city. And I thought, I mean, I started panicking because we got separated. And they told us, do not get, you do not want to get separated here. So, man, we all, we told everybody, stay here. And a couple of us bust out and we go looking for them. And so that was one of my memories of, as we're walking the pathway of Christ, you know, my dad got lost. It totally messed up my, my, my watch tracker, my map, everything. And, I was, <laughs> and so it, you can see on the map where I just went everywhere looking for it. But the, the, the pathway to Calvary, you know, uh, the, the, the walk of the cross, and and then they they showed us um, where Christ most most likely would have died. What I didn't realize, and again, this may have just been because I've been sheltered, is the Catholic Church has built the the Church of the Holy Sepulchre there. And and guys, when you see this thing, it is so massive and ornate. And this is the you know the the Catholic theory of it all which you know I, that's one thing like everybody when you, when you go to israel everybody thinks where's the spot is this the place and they can't tell you they just think that this is like historically this is what we say but they don't really know because everything's changed so much but there is a big rock that is split and they say that that is where the cross was put but it's not a big rock and it's not a very big crack, very big split. And so, you know, for, for a Catholic, this is this is a big, this is a very holy place. And and then there's a there's this uh, big there's this pl- place where the bedrock is exposed, a big a big or a big rock. And they say that's where they laid the body of Jesus. That when they took the body off the cross, that the, that's where they laid him. And guys, I'm telling y'all, you know, that was. Whether or not that was true, you know, again, this is a holy site, and man, there was some people who was just weeping on it and crying and praying. And one guy was literally just—he had his face on the floor, and he stayed there for forty-five minutes or more, just praying and crying out unto God. And um, again, very holy site. But then, 20, 30 yards away, right around the corner, is the place where they say they, that Jesus was buried, mm. and um, of course. It, nothing looks like it was like you think it would. Is that the actual historical site? And before I actually went to Israel, I didn't realize that there were conflicting stories of the place where the tomb actually was. And the the secret is nobody really knows. The Catholics think they know, so they built this Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and they, again they they want to they say this is the spot. But then there was another place, and it's called the Garden Tomb, which is right down the street. And 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 I can't remember, you know, who the who the guy was who who, who claims to have discovered the, the Garden Tomb. But you know, there are two different locations that people think could possibly be the the place where Jesus was resurrected, or the the, the tomb. Mm-hmm. Is that relevant? Is it even important? No, the the location doesn't matter. But as 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 people, we want to say, 
well, this is where Jesus died, so that's a holy place. This is where Jesus was resurrected, so that's a holy place. You know the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus goes up on the mountain and he takes Peter, James, and John, and, and, and Moses and Elijah are revealed? What do they say whenever they see uh, Elijah and Moses? What, is, what do they say to Jesus? Let's build a t- let's build a temple for you here. Yeah. We, we want to build something for you. And guys, they it's like the side is holy. No, the side is not holy. Jesus is holy. Amen. Yes. And so again, all these holy places, they're just they can in, they can end up being relics. Like church, we we think that the the building is holy. The building is set aside for the work of Christ. But the church is the the building is not holy. Jesus is holy. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and because he lives inside of us, we are the church. We are the of the body of Christ. And I, I know, Zach, that that's something that some people get hung up on. Where was the actual place? Of the, re- the location of the resurrection doesn't matter. The event, the fact that he was resurrected, that's really what, what matters. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I went on that long tangent. Well, I want to say this. Uh, the location doesn't matter, but it does give credence if you consider the location of, his, of uh, much of his ministry of the place of his crucifixion, the place of his burial, and the place of the sightings post-mortem. They were all Jerusalem. And he, he also said, I'll meet you in Galilee too. There's this, uh, there's this trek of uh, common uh, pit stops, you know what mm, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Where it gives credence to the, the testimony of the witnesses of his resurrection because he was publicly crucified and the tomb was borrowed by a member of the Sanhedrin Joseph of Arimathea, he wasn't just some uh, uh, petty citizen of the community or anything like that. He was a member of the court, and he gave his family tomb to Jesus. So that was another thing that, that they said deal. about the, the garden tomb. Yeah, They said that they, they tracked the historical records back, okay. and they said that that property oh. belonged to a Joseph oh. of Arimathea. Oh. And again... You know, yeah. Did I actually see the doc? No. Yeah. But you, know, you just take people's word as, as being being truth, but yeah. they said that that was the argument for what's called known as the garden tomb. Yeah, so it would be strange if, like, he was crucified in uh, Jerusalem and then uh, buried there, but there were sightings of him in Brazil, you know, mm-hmm. on the third day. That would be strange. You know what I mean? We have word or report or something like that. But no, he showed up from his tomb, and he walked amongst people for 40 days. Yeah. And that's incredible. And you mentioned this too, Doing many that. convincing proofs, right? You mentioned this too. Jesus was not well-liked by these Sanhedrin guys. They hated him so much they tried to kill him. So can you imagine that these educated, well-learned men would possibly, they knew, they knew about the resurrection. I'm sure they probably even sought him out. But these guys would have most likely tried to have destroyed any evidence of this happening, right? Oh, well, it's like it is in Matthew 28. Hey, we're going to give you this money. You're going to say what we're going to tell you to say. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to do that. They would have probably tried to alter history yeah. to, to please them and tried to write Jesus out of history. Mm-hmm. Well, Matthew said it was going, that theory was prevalent to the day of Matthew's writing that gospel account. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and so you've got these, these very powerful men who say, don't talk about Jesus. And so you, people are probably intimidated by that. You know, you'll lose your job if you talk about Jesus. You you could probably be be whipped or, or or scourged or suffer the same fate of of Jesus Christ. And that's why these early apostles we loved them dearly, and, and because they had boldness. Yeah, they were not ashamed. No, the apostle, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of God that lives in me. And, and in the last episode, we talked about spiritual boldness. Yeah. And guys, that the resurrection ought to give us hope, but it also ought to give us boldness mm-hmm. to continue to share the gospel. Amen. I mean, you think about it. They try to shut those guards up. And 2,000 years later, we're, we're living in the same, hey, we don't need you praying in school. We want They're trying to, to get him out of everything. Mm-hmm. They succeeded to a point, but I think God's people are, are starting to, to put their heel in the dirt and take a stand and not be pushed back anymore. And there, and, and here's the thing. We've got to start pushing back against the evil. We've got to say, Hey, this resurrection is real. He came, he died. He rose again. He was on this earth for 40 days. His life is my life. His life is my hope. The power that he gave me to, to make it through that he talks about in acts one, eight, Hey, I will baptize you with power. 
to be my messengers, to, to perform these miracles, to stand for me, to be the beacon of hope, the city on a hill, the light in the dark. I'm going to give you these things to stand. And God's calling his people to stand and, and say, hey, I believe what I believe, and I'm going to lift up his name, and we're not going to lose this battle. Because, again, like I said, 2,000 years later, we're getting the same conflict. We're getting the same pushback from the secular world as, as they did in Jesus' day. We're getting it today. But the resurrection, how can you deny it? We count time by this man. That's right. <laughs> we count. Uh, something had to be shaken there. Yeah. This is the year of our Lord, 2021. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, B.C. and A.D. Yep. He had to be here. He had to come back. He shook the world to its core. Right. Not only did he shake the the guards to their core in verse four, but he shook the whole world to the fact that we count time by him. And to this day, they're still trying to shut him out like they were then. Yeah. So therefore something major took place. He is alive. Zach, there's something else that I also wanted to bring out. And, 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 and Paul and I, the thing about us is we don't really have an order or a plan. Sure. We just go with what we feel. <laughs> yeah. And you may even have this in your records, or you may not have thought about this. So I want to give you this. I've done a lot of research into the resurrection, the historicity of it all. And yeah, there's a lot of people who doubt the existence of Jesus Christ and would even say, no, the historical figure of Jesus Christ is actually fiction. Well, by and large, people accept that there was an actual person named Jesus Christ. Was he the son of God? That's the big question. Sure. And what all that hinges on is simply the resurrection. Yes. There's a lot of people that's okay with a Jesus existing. But here's the thing. If he, if the resurrection is true, then what he said was true. If he, if the resurrection is true, then he's the son of God. That's right. And everything that he said is true. Yeah. And so again, the people that will give us historical evidence, pull up something from 2000 years. Uh, anybody ever heard of Alexander the great? Do y'all know that we still do not know where the tomb of Alexander is historians do not even know where the tomb of Alexander is. Now uh, history reverberates about the, the feats of, of Alexander the great. Nobody doubts the existence of him. Mm -hmm. History reverberates what Jesus Christ has done. And some people will still doubt what has happened with, with Jesus. But so here's what, here's what they say. Remember when I said earlier about these people trying to stamp out Jesus or trying to raise Jesus. So you have these people who say, well, there's actually nothing that actually that says anything about a Pontius Pilate. There, there's there's no there's no historical documents say anything about Pilate, and the Romans were meticulous when it came to maintaining their records for years. Re study this. They they had trouble locating anything about Pilate. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Paul, after a long day of work, you're tired, Heather's tired, or maybe even after church on Sunday afternoon. Everybody's got to eat. So where are you going? I'm going down to see Juan and the family at Senor Lopez, 105 Mecca Pike, Teleco Plains, Tennessee, where the food is fresh and the family is welcome. Come home for dinner at Senor Lopez. And now, the continuation of Truth Revival. And this is when I developed my theory that I feel like they tried to erase Pilate from history. But in Caesarea... That's right. They found... Archaeological. Uh, they, they found the Pilate stone. Mm -hmm. And, and th there was a piece of limestone in, in, in Caesarea that had an inscription of the prefect, Pontius Pilate. So it's like, uh-oh. If Pilate existed and the Bible records Pilate, then there's a good possibility that Jesus existed. And anybody who's in a criminal investigation, that is a clue. That is a key right there. And so they're starting to connect the dots that, I mean, again, by faith, we receive it. Can I actually prove Jesus existed? Can, can I? No, I can't. But the Bible says by faith, we receive these things. But now there's some historical things that's starting to confirm mm -hmm. our faith that's right and so by and large historians agree 
that the person of Jesus Christ did exist. There is historical evidence now, even with the Pilate stone of this person, Jesus Christ. The big question is, is did the resurrection happen? Right. And is he, because if the resurrection happened, then he's the son of God. That's right. Well, historians, they measure their confidence by the, um, the amount of testimony, like the sources that they have. So like how many and also how early those sources are to the event that they're talking about. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, who all have um, unique details to the burial and resurrection narrative mm-hmm. that um, aren't, aren't dependent upon the other. Like Mark is understood to be the, believed to be the earliest and then um, Luke or Matthew, and then John is the latest. But we have those four, and then we have the uh, sermons and acts from Peter and John, and then we have the what a lot of people don't know that I wanted to share at uh, right here is First Corinthians fifteen is actually our earliest record, although it's written by Paul in around fifty five A.D. He says. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, and his visit to Corinth is dated around 51 AD. So if you measure the cross between 30 and 33 AD, that's just 20 years after the event. You mentioned Alexander the Great. Our earliest but poor sources are a couple of centuries after, if I'm not mistaken, and our best, I think, are Plutarch, if I'm not mistaken, and that is five to six, seven centuries. Like, it's really far after his life. And that's our best sources, and they're further from the life of that figure. Julius Caesar is the same case. Our best sources are centuries after, and yet we trust them. That's right. About those ancient historical figures. So when don't, we, we don't dispute those. We don't dispute those. <laughs> but, but we question the, the, uh, the Gospels because it's been compiled into this you know, collection of books, mm-hmm. and we see, well, this is a religious book, so therefore it's disqualified. But these weren't originally in that form. Right. They were uh, historical narratives about the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Same thing with Paul's epistles. There were letters to church. They were historical documents, and just because they're included in a collection doesn't discredit their reliability. So with Paul, I want to turn back there. He says, I preach to you... Um, as of first importance, what I also received. That's in verse 1. I preach to you what I also received. So he's saying, the thing I'm about to write to you about, I preach to you about in person when I visited you in Corinth, which I believe is Acts 18. So you can read about that visit, and he preached this very message in uh, verses 3 through 5. He preached this very same thing in Corinth. That's what he says. I preach to you what I also received, in which also you stand by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then here's the message he shared. He said, I received this myself. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And I want you, um, Paul and Roman, I want you guys to catch the two individuals that are mentioned in this series of witnesses of Jesus uh, resurrected. It says he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and then he appeared to Cephas and then to a group called the Twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, and some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all to one untimely born he appeared to me also, being Paul. So who are those two? There is two individuals named there. It was Peter, Cephas, and yes, yeah, Cephas and James. So, a lot of New Testament scholars, when trying to figure out when did Paul receive this, there's an interesting visit that Paul makes in Galatians chapter one mm. that is that is dated. We can easily date it because Paul gives years; he gives timestamps. This is absolutely incredible. So, in Galatians chapter one, verse eighteen, let me turn there real quick. Um, Paul says... I had this in my notes. (laughs) This is crazy. This is crazy. So we want multiple and independent sources about an event in ancient history in order to increase confidence in its claims. But if we have early sources also, and not just that, but eyewitness sources, that's gold. And historians don't get that wealth 
on hardly anything, but we have more about Jesus and no one else comes close. It's not just that, but we have a mountain of ancient manuscripts about these uh, copies of these books that correlate with one another. There's not contradiction, contradictions or discrepancies. They go so far back to the time of the events that we, it should increase confidence, and yet there's widespread skepticism just because of his message, because the gospel's offensive. But in Galatians chapter 1, it says in verse 18, well, let me read a little bit further to uh, verse 15. When God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Well, his Paul's conversion is dated very closely after the crucifixion, like couple years, something like that. And then it says in verse 18, then three years later, so three years after his conversion, he goes to Jerusalem and becomes acquainted with Cephas and stays with him 15 days. Now that word acquainted in the Greek is historio, which he's, he's on a fact-finding mission. He's trying to get the history of something. And it says in verse 19, but I did not see any other apostles except James the Lord's brother. So the two people he visits for 15 days, three years after his conversion, is Cephas and James, the two individuals mentioned in the list of witnesses in 1 Corinthians 15. <laughs> so New Testament scholars give a lot of credence to tracing, I delivered to you what I also received. You know what I mean? They're, they're not interpreting it that he received it from the Holy Spirit, but rather he received this, actual, this creed, this easy-to-remember creed, that has a rhythmic uh, style to it. If you read it in Greek, it has this like Mary had a little lamb, fleece was white as snow. It had this uh, easy, this easy to remember rhythm to it, and that was for the sake of a lot of illiterate early, uh, first century Christians, mm-hmm. so that they could also communicate the gospel, articulate it accurately in an easy to remember manner. And that happened a lot. Uh, Philippians chapter two has a creed about Jesus uh, becoming a servant to the point of death. There's a lot of different creeds that uh, Paul makes mention of, and 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 5 is one of them. So we have this visit for 15 days, and you've got to ask the question, who did he talk to? I mean, uh, not who did he talk to, but what did he talk about? Well, one of the members is a prominent disciple with Jesus during his ministry, and the other one is a once skeptic sibling of Jesus. Mm. You know what I mean? We find in Matthew chapter 13, this James is one of them, is one of the brothers, and he was... He has a long track record of uh, not believing. Um, it says that at one point the family tried to bring him into the house because he was out in public and they were embarrassed about him. Not That's a paraphrase, but they tried to bring him in um, thinking he was crazy. And in Acts chapter 1, you see in the upper room the women followers and the brothers of Jesus with the disciples praying and waiting as Jesus commanded. Now, why would the brothers do that if there hadn't been at least with one, a resurrection experience. And 1 Corinthians 15 says James had an encounter with the risen Jesus. So here, Paul, a new believer, three years in the faith, he comes to Jerusalem and he spends two weeks with these two men. And I think his selection of these two men is no mistake. And uh, it's a question of what they talk about. It says, it became acquainted, but the Greek word is historio, which means to investigate, find out, learn by, or gain knowledge of by visiting. So given his choice of who he visits, I think it's really safe to say he's asking them about Jesus. He, he wants to know about it. And then in Galatians chapter 2, it says, uh, 14 years later, he meets three pillars in the church, Peter, James, and John. And he meets with them to make sure that they are all preaching the same message. Mm. And when he presents to them the message he's been preaching for the past, what, 17 years he's been in the faith, it says that they give him the right hand of fellowship, and then he goes to the Gentiles, they go to the Jews, and uh, it's incredible. So he goes 14 years after that first visit to make sure they're preaching the same message. In 1 Corinthians 15... He actually goes out of his way to say that 
whether then it was them preaching or it was me preaching, so you believed. And what he's trying to say is, whoever you heard it from, you heard the same message. That's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 11. And that's incredible. There's this this obvious harmony amongst 1 Corinthians 15, 1, 2, and 3 with Galatians chapter 1, where a lot of New Testament scholars, some of the chiefest... um, Mike Lacona, Gary Habermas, who have wrote a lot of literature about this, and I'd encourage anyone to get their their books. Um, one particular is a case for the resurrection, where there's widespread belief that even amongst skeptics, that this message which I delivered to you, I also received in First Corinthians 15, is from Galatians chapter one, and that dates within five years of the resurrection, and we don't have anything in ancient history with um, testimony that close to the event it's talking about. It's so rich. Mm. So that should increase a historian's confidence in these reports, I mean, off the, off the scale, because it's so early, and nothing with any other historical figure compares to it. I think the reason people try to poke holes in the Bible and the, the biblical narrative is, 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 like I said, if they can disprove the figurehead— yeah of our faith, Jesus Christ, then that means I'm not accountable to him. Sure. I don't have to do what God's word says. Yeah. I'm not subject to the judgment or the wrath of God one day. I don't have to worry about, you know, separation from God being cast off into hell. So if I can disprove it, or if I just say, I don't believe it, then I'm not subject to it. Yeah. There have been so many atheists who have sought out to debunk Christianity and you hear stories and stories of these guys or gals who have sought out to disprove or debunk Christianity. And what ends up happening is they become converts yeah. because they find out oh, there yeah. is a case for the resurrection. Lee Strobel, Case for Christ. Yeah. And and uh, there's a movie called Risen. Have you ever seen that? Mm-mm. Oh, my gosh. You've got to watch it. Okay. It's called Risen. It came out a couple of years ago. And there's this Roman soldier... Um, I can't remember what his name is in, in the film. Now, again, this is not a this is not biblical, but it's uh, some creative liberties that that were taken. But he he was commissioned by Rome to try to find out is Jesus back? Because don't you know? I mean, if Pilate had, you know given his approval for the execution of Christ and the crucifixion. And then three days later, he hears, he would have heard Jesus is back. That guy we killed, he's back. Even the Roman soldier, when uh, Jesus died, he said, surely this was the son of God. I'm sure he would have talked, you know what I mean? So they would have known and they would have had to investigate it because I'm sure that it, everybody wasn't quiet. Those those uh, those Jewish people had a tendency to be rowdy. <laughs> they <laughs> they liked to fight, and so yeah, there would have been a crowd. There would have probably been an uprising, or or they the 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 Romans would have probably been like, we need to find out if this is legit to prevent an uprising. And so that again, like, like I said, there's some creative liberties that are taken here, but this guy starts investigating the claims of the resurrection and much like many atheists who again you feel free to, to look this up on the internet people who have tried to debunk atheists who have tried to debunk christianity this guy eventually comes to faith in christ and um zach i, I have thoroughly enjoyed today um do you have anything else over there for us or uh, are just, you are you saying, man? We just getting started, Rowan. That was the introduction. No, no, no. no. <laughs> just a quote. It's uh, by an apologist, Frank Turek, and I think this is so heavy. He says the explanation of the empty tomb, the postmortem appearances, the explosion of the Christian church, and the apostles' uh, martyrdom that requires the least amount of faith is Jesus's resurrection from the dead. Like, if you were to try to answer any other explanation, it required far more faith. Jesus rising from the dead is the most plausible explanation for what we know to be true. Even the enemy said there was an empty tomb. 
the first witnesses to the empty tomb were women. And that is so counter to first century Jewish culture that they were the first ones because even in a court of law, their testimony was of lesser value than a thief's. But they were the first ones, and all the accounts say so, that the women were the first one there. And then you also have two witnesses to the resurrection that uh, both were killed, and that's James and Paul, and they had no bias towards him beforehand. He was James grew up in the same household, but he was not a believer. He was a strong skeptic, and then he became prominent in the Christian church and, and died for his faith. And then Paul was a first-century Jewish terrorist against the early Christian yeah. church. I mean, he was on mission in pursuit to to uh, raid some prayer meetings and Bible studies and things, um, and Jesus, encounter, you know, met him. Hmm. So I just, I just think that there is so many key details that are worthy of attention that give uh, strength to the claim that Jesus is alive, but it's not just that. I know he lives because... I've encountered a person, right. not an energy, not a force, not a power, and a, a person who's communicating with me and is alive today. Jesus told his disciples, he said, I've got to go away. Yeah. But when I go away, I'll send the comforter. That's right. That's the work of the Holy Spirit inside the believer. Yeah. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? Man. You must repent. That's right. Repent because we've all sinned, come short of the glory of God, and then place your faith in, in Christ. I'm not going to say... Um, that you have to go through this simple prayer and this is from your heart, That's repent, right. <laughs> cry out to God, trust that Jesus Christ was crucified and died for your sin and that he was resurrected, that now he gives us hope. Zach, I, I'm, I just keep going back to this and you said it um, out of First uh, Corinthians 15. There's a passage, uh, I think it was like in verse 30, 32, something like that. And I think the reason we even, that, that people will even doubt the resurrection or poke holes in it is because the Apostle Paul said, if the dead raise not or not raised, let us eat, drink, yes. for tomorrow we die. That's right. There's, Or in other words, there's no reason for living. Anything goes. There's no morality. There's no morality. Anything goes. And that is our culture today. Free That's for right. all. It's a, it's a free for all. Yeah. yeah. And, but, but you see, God's not dead. That's right. Christ is not dead. Mm. And what he says is true. If we're going to have any hope of eternity, then we have to abide by the rules of God. Otherwise, we're going to be subject to his wrath. And and I, <clears throat> you have people who say, well, I'm my own boss. I'm not subject to anybody. Listen, this is God's world. God created it. We were made in the likeness of his image and for his good pleasure. Amen. In Ecclesiastes, it says, let us hear the whole conclusion of the matter. That's right. That that man was made to honor God, to, to love God and to keep his commandments. That's why we that's why we were made, to honor God. And yet some people want to focus on honoring themselves or fulfilling the lust of their own, yep. own flesh. And and even the apostle Paul said on Mars Hill, that you know, they said an inscription to the unknown God that God once winked at the ignorance of man, yeah. but now He commands all men everywhere to, to repent. To repent. to repent, Amen. So, if you're out there and and you may have been looking for a, a case for the resurrection, how do we put this into words yeah. and share our faith with historical facts? Give people something tangible. I think that Zach has done a phenomenal job researching Amazing. this topic. And Zach, you just have a, a great gift of teaching. We we had done a, a podcast. Did you get to listen to that one? Preaching versus pastoring? No. Oh, you need to check that one out. With Dennis Cagle and um, Brother Jamie. I will. That is one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, it was one of mine too. It was really good. But we we talked about, you know, the, the gifts of um of, of ministry yeah. and, and the gift of teaching. Yeah. The fact that some people can take information and not just bore you with it. Oh. Trust me going through college. I have sat through so many tedious instructional lessons or lectures and sometimes sermons become lectures. Um, but I've enjoyed what you shared with us today. Here, you have, you have a gift when it comes to, um, 
sharing information and making it come alive. Um, but Paul, won't you share your closing thoughts and then we'll call it a day. In the Greek, it talks about Anastasia. And Anastasia is another word for resurrection. But the root of that is revival. And, and we've got to look at that. When you're cold and you're dead, you need revived. So that resurrection came to start a revival in the people that he chose. And listen to, the, listen to what he says to Martha when he comes back. They call him back to Lazarus. Lazarus has been dead four days. And they're like, hey, if you'd been here, he wouldn't be this way. He said, look, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And that life in the Greek, that word for life is Zoe. And Zoe is a divine life uniquely possessed by God. Paul, can we just back that up a little bit? Because Jesus goes to Martha and she said, if, you're, if you would have been here, he'd have been fine. And Jesus said, he's going to be okay. She said, well, I know, I know I'll see him again in the resurrection. At the end. I know I'll see him. Yeah. yeah. She said, you don't understand. I am the resurrection. I am. I am. That. I am. That. <laughs> you know, Man. yeah. You're going to come alive in me. Now. Yeah. And, and that's what people don't understand. You come alive in him today. That's right. Today is the day of salvation. Man. And that salvation is here because of the resurrection. That's right. People say, well, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to shout. When I get to heaven, I'm really going to. If the things that are bound on earth will be bound in heaven. If you wait to live for God until you get to heaven, that's that's no. not going to happen. Mm -mm. Or, or I want to wait until I get to heaven to have power. I want to wait until I get to heaven to finally have victory. No, yeah. he's alive now. You have victory now. You have power now. Jesus told his disciples, he said, the things that I've done, greater things. Will you do? Will you do? Because I go to the Father for you. And I'm going to indwell right. in you. Right. I'm going to mm. empower you. But it's not me, it's him through me. Yes. Because of the resurrection. That Zoe. Yeah. Zoe. A divine life. Purposed by God. A divine life uniquely possessed by God. Zoe. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Is he your life today? What an episode. The case for the resurrection. Zach, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you, man. We're so glad to have you on board today. Be sure to... Uh, Check us out on Facebook. We're at uh, Truth Revival 37385. Like and share the episode. The Case for the Resurrection, episode 26. We're out of here, guys. <laughs>